man, just so hooked. Uh, yeah. Never thought, never thought about my baseball swing like I do my golf swing. I'm obsessed yeah. with it. And we're back for another part train. I'm one of your co-hosts, Evan Singer. It's just me this week. Matt Cermak couldn't make it. But guys, thanks for hopping aboard, as always. In case you're new, our mission on the part train is to help frustrated golfers enjoy the ride again, on and off the course, because we believe if you can learn to smile through bad golf, you can smile through anything. We interview PJ Tour pros, best-selling authors, CEOs, mental coaches, and everyday golfers, probably just like you and me, and more to make the hardest game in the world feel easy and finally help you get out of your own way, shoot lower scores, and just enjoy the ride. Guys, uh, before we get to this episode, which was an unbelievable thrill for me as a St. Louis native with David Freeze, a quick word from our friends at Roback. Uh, Roback Performance Apparel is the best performance apparel in the world, every time I wear, and by the way, it's basically all I wear now, uh, every time I wear a piece of rowback gear, whether it's a performance hoodie that has four-way stretch and is softer than a baby's bottom, or a performance polo where my collars stay crisp no matter how many times I wash them, or a t-shirt and I'm working out, literally any garment that I wear from them, I get compliments, people ask me what it is, and when they go buy it using our link in our show notes to get you 15% off your first order, it's always linked in our uh, Instagram, in our bio, they never go back. Whatever they're wearing before, they never go back. They buy more and more rowback gear. They DM me, they text me, they call me, and they say, you were right, this stuff is by far the best. So I don't need to go on and on. You guys get it. I'm telling you, you won't be disappointed. Um, so go to rowback.com, click that link in our show notes or linked in our Instagram bio at the par train and get yourself some of the best performance gear. It's summer guys. Okay. You need some new stuff. I'm telling you, you won't regret it. Get some rollback gear and get 15% off your first order. Okay. I got to be, I got to level with you for a second. Uh, I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, born and raised. If you didn't know that. And, um, I can't express the level of gratitude that I have for the platform and the community that this show has become. Uh, it's growing every day. We get at least 10 DMs every day from people that are telling us that they shot their lowest score ever, they're enjoying the ride more, they're having more fun, and they're getting real results. And this show has given me, personally, an opportunity to have a conversation that I thought I would never be able to have. Guys, I'm sure you all heard of or saw Game 6 of the World Series in 2011, Cardinals-Rangers. And I know we're not a baseball podcast, but there are a lot of parallels between different sports, different disciplines, and golf when you dig into the mental sides. And David Freeze is our hometown hero. Really, 2011 was his first full season starting uh, for the Cardinals. He did start in 2010, but kind of his season got cut short due to injury. 2011, he bursted out into the scene and basically won us a World Series. Um, he was down to two strikes twice in Game 6, and then we obviously won in Game 7. So, guys, this was, it was a pinch me moment, honestly. It was one of the most invigorating moments and grateful moments of my life, um, genuinely. And 
I know you're going to love this episode. This episode was digging into sports moments. And I really, I really did my research, uh, as we always do, but I think I did a little bit extra for David because I wanted to ask David questions differently than he's ever been asked before. He's been asked about Game 6 thousands of times, and I thought I owed it to you. I thought I owed it to family and friends in St. Louis to get inside his head in a way that could help us on and off the golf course. And David is a golf nut now. He just started playing seven months ago. He actually just got back from his first trip to Bandon Dunes. So this was the perfect time for him to dig into some learnings mentally that he had from playing at the highest level in Major League Baseball, but then also being just like you and me and starting out in this amazing game of golf and drawing parallels between the two of them. So uh, I will stop babbling. I will get you guys to this episode. I'm, again, so thankful. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. And if you guys have gotten any value from these conversations and our podcast and our, our social media, whatever, just do us a favor, share it with a friend, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Um, it, it really means a lot. It helps us out. And so that's all I ask. Other than that, no matter how you're hitting it, no matter where the ball's going, enjoy the ride. Thank you, guys. All right. I never thought I'd say these words. We're back on the train. David Freeze, welcome aboard. Thank you. How you doing? I'm good, man. I got to say, in 145-plus <laughs> episodes, I don't think I've ever had more difficult time researching. Not because of you, David, but because I could feel the weight of everyone I know in St. Louis just <laughs> in my ear with questions that they'd want to ask. But I also got to honor the part train listeners. So it was, it was a challenge, but I, I think we're here. I got actually, I got a replica 2011 ring with me that oh, I always sweet. have on my desk. So I think we're in a good place. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do this. This will be fun. So, uh, David, I thought of many different ways um, of how to start this. And I think the best way to start is talking about Bandon. Um, you went to Bandon Dunes uh, a few weeks ago. As we were just talking. It was your first golf trip. Um, and uh, you tweeted something. I want to start with this quote that you tweeted. You said, I hope my caddy is ready to lug around 17 clubs and 84 <laughs> golf balls. So I got to start off by asking, what were the extra three clubs and how quickly did you lose balls to lighten the load for your caddy? Okay, so the extra, I had one extra club and it was kind of like a utility iron, which I'm not even capable of using yet because my four iron doesn't even go 200 yards. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, well, me and my buddy Eric Johnson down in Austin, we shot up there, just found a twosome opening for a couple days um, and played, uh, played every course but Old McDonald. But um, yeah, just to talk about that tweet, the funny thing is, I thought about that tweet. Our first tee time was at 7.30, you know, playing two courses a day. And Eric, who was kind of running the shop, you know, right there by uh, Bandon Dunes, um, you know, tee box one, he was like, hey, man, you got to take some golf balls out of the bag. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I need about 15. Like, look at these courses. I need about yeah. 15 balls for this. He's like, no, you're fine. We'll find every one. You're good. I'm like, man, you are nuts. So you took out a few, try to hide, hide a little more, you know, in there. And then he, he comes back like 10 minutes later. He's like, Dave, Eric, come on. You got to get these out of here. Your caddy, we had a caddy, 
carrying both bags, you know? Um, oh, wow. And I'm like, all right, let's do this. You know, so six, eight balls in there. And then you start to play, you know, early in the morning, there's no wind, right? Yeah. You know, and by 10 a.m., it's howling. Um, but it's the link courses except for abandoned trails. And you start understanding like, okay, unless you go cliffside on some of those holes, you're not going to lose your ball or you're going to find somebody else's ball. Um, so that kind of calmed me down. But, uh, man, what a beautiful property and um, what a time to, to get out there, you know, especially as a beginner golfer six, seven months in. Um, <laughs> that place will wear you out. So it's yeah. a blast, though. It's funny. When I was there uh, for the first time, I remember blocking drives like 40 yards right and the caddy looking me and be like we'll find it and at first i yeah, was like yeah, this guy's crazy. just saying it and dropping balls down <laughs> to make me feel good but it's true like you can hit yeah. it anywhere there right you can and you know i've never played a links course before and so i didn't quite understand that you're kind of playing like with the wind it kind of feels like an ice rink when you let one let one go off the tee box and it and you got some spin it slices a little or fades or whatever you want to appropriately call it um but it'll just take off 40 yards right you know off the fairway and then you got to deal with with whatever's over there so david i got to ask you what happened to your your psyche when they you're you're a new golfer you're on the tee an intimidating property and they say you got to take balls out of your bag what was going through your mind a lot of swelling i, I would I, think yeah i almost checked out of the hotel <laughs> but um man you, you think about everybody that comes in and out of that place um you get over some hills you check out the whole property and it's it's crazy to think that this this land out here has turned into you know four or five golf course they've just started i guess sheep ranch a couple of years years ago and they're thinking about building a new one um so that, that would make it like six plus the par three i guess but yeah. uh just insane um you get a couple holes in and you're just wondering how, you know how the hell you got even out to this this property so before we move on we're going to talk a lot of baseball we're going to talk a lot of golf uh last thing about bannon i i always love asking this because everyone has a different answer what was your favorite course that you played um probably pacific dunes i would think it was an afternoon like if i go back i would play that course in the morning (laughs) you know i'm not throwing darts by any means and you know like you know like if you get out there early you can play the front nine with minimal wind and stuff um you know i don't got a stinger in my bag so everything's flying up in the air (laughs) Um, but Pacific Dunes is probably my favorite. And then I, man, I really like Bandon Trails. That was like the non-link course. Yeah. Um, when you get inside those trees and kind of get off the, you know, get off the cliffs, uh, different vibe, you know, different, uh, different environment, but, uh, just, um, a hell of a course out there. Yeah. My favorite is what what'd you, yeah. what you like? You like trails? Yeah. I, but yeah. I'm, I'm spoiled because I live in LA, so I, I'm yeah. around the ocean more. Um, but I, there's something about being in the trees. Like you said, there's like a spiritual thing in there that I just love forest golf. Feel like it's just you and golf and nothing else. And so, yeah, I love trails, but I love it all. I mean, yeah, yeah, for sure. It's cool. Um, we played that last too, which was awesome. We ran through the three link courses that we played and then finished there. Um, and it was cool. Yeah, you're right, man. It's, it's like uh, you could drive 20 minutes down the road 
and get on a course and feel like you jumped on a plane and went went somewhere to play golf. Yeah. You know, every time I go out there and play, I feel like I I went somewhere else. Um, yeah. you know, and I'm playing golf, so it's cool. You so definitely you, get a little escape. Yeah. You said you've only been yeah. playing seven or eight months. So does that mean that you never picked up a club or played when you were playing baseball? Um no, well, I know for a fact that I hadn't played around since two thousand seven. Oh, um okay. Yeah. But um man, I got in a wreck in 09. I blasted my feet. You know, I had four surgeries and and golf was always on my mind, but I didn't know with bone spurs and stuff when your bullets would would run out. And so I didn't want to waste my feet <laughs> chasing a golf ball. You know, and obviously I got I got through my career and everything. Um but just itching to play golf, but I knew it was probably wise not to get out there and play. And obviously, man, being an every, everyday player for, you know, a number of years, you know, those, you, you watch those pitchers wake up and get out and play 18 and then come and throw a bullpen and then sit and watch a whole game. Yeah. That's the life. You know, if you could do it yeah. all over again, that's the life. But I played probably, I'd say five to 10 rounds growing up, messing around it. You know, um, I couldn't even tell you what courses in St. Louis I probably ran, ran out to, but definitely just began, but man, just so hooked. Uh, yeah. never thought, never thought about my baseball swing. Like I do my golf swing. I'm obsessed yeah. with it. Well, we're going to get yeah. into that. I mean, it's probably a good thing. Okay. Um, obviously I only played high school baseball, but for me, it, it messed with my swing. So I never played golf until I stopped oh, playing it, oh, it did. baseball. Cause you know, you're supposed to keep your hands high in baseball and golf, it starts to drop your hands. And once you start dropping your hands, it's not a good thing. So right, probably a good right. thing. You didn't dabble. Inter- interesting. Yeah. As a Cardinal fan, I'm glad that you didn't dabble in golf. <laughs> yeah, <till> after. Right. <laughs> but right, so, okay. Sure. So we're going to get to all the par train listeners out there. We're going to link everything to golf to all the St. Louis people listening. We're going to get into some Cardinal stuff too. Um, but the first thing I wanted to ask David is, <laughs> I'm really curious about the pressure of minor league versus major league baseball. Um, there's something that's really interesting. It's kind of similar to the Corn Ferry, you know, to PJ Tour, where your livelihood yeah. is at every at bat. And so I'm curious, how difficult was it to stay loose and free versus tight and tentative trying to make things happen? Because we all know you don't play your best when you're tentative, but at the same time, yeah. it's hard not to be in this world of minor league baseball. For sure. Um, you know, I think it begins with every individual and what, what your goals are, um, how much you want baseball or golf to be a part of your life now and in the future. Um, you have to set priorities and obviously everybody's priorities, morals, values differ, you know, talent, you know, their God given ability, whatever you want to call it. So people have to practice a certain way compared to the guy next to them, you know, less, more, more deliberate, you know, you know, the F around, whatever, you know, it's um, some people need to focus real intently, but some people just really need to stay loose until it's their time to get over the ball or get in the box type of thing. But the, the minor leagues were, were definitely different than the big leagues. The minor leagues is definitely like mono, 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 like you're kind of on your own. There's some team aspect to it when you get, on some good teams that you know you have a chance to kind of get to the playoffs and win and and this and that but it's definitely like you're just kind of looking at everybody else saying who's going to get called up who's going to make it to the big leagues this and that and i can imagine in the corn fairy you're 
you know, I don't know how many tournaments you have to win or or where you place to get your card or this and that, but I can't imagine just, just like the Meyer leagues, like when you, when you're kind of sniffing it and it's close, like that's really what the time, you know, the mental preparation is for those moments, mm-hmm. you know, to not really understand what's at stake. You have a much better chance of succeeding when you, when you're confident in your preparation and, and you kind of clear the head and just attack, you know, what, what you've practiced for so long. Well, the perfect example of that I feel like is the NLDS in 2011. I want to, I'm a big quote guy, David, I'm going to read another quote for you. Uh, You said that the Oswald game, which was game four of the NLDS, I'm sure you know the quote, you said it changed your life. It said, mentally, if I don't allow myself to be scared and timid, it's on. So from that double on, um, something happened. And after I hit that homer to go to game five, I was like, let's roll. Let's feed off this. Now, let me give the people (laughs) context uh, that don't know or don't remember. Before that double in game four, you had struck out five (laughs) five of the last seven at-bats were KOs, and you only had two hits in the first 13 at-bats in that series. But then you faced, you know, Roy Oswalt, heard of him, pretty good picture. In the fourth inning of game four, you guys trailed by a run. You doubled in two runs to put us ahead, and then Homer the next time up against him to force the game five, which we, was an iconic game, um, which we won sure. won nothing. So it sounds like it went from playing on your heels to going after it. Yeah, hundred percent. So talk about that. How, how did that change for you? Yeah, that's exactly the feeling. Um, you know when you're giving a presentation or you're playing sports or whatever, like we all can get on our heels. Um, So we open up first playoff experience, you know, you're in Philly against Roy Halladay against a 102 win team or whatever. Um, You know, I always said that that'll wake you up (laughs) real quick. That'll, that'll define, define what you're all about um, real soon. And so I, I just wore it, you know, Halliday, Lee Hamels, like got, got torched for three games. Um, not surprising, but just kind of like, oh man, this is, this is rough. And, uh, and you kind of lay in bed, you're staring at the ceiling, kind of questioning yourself about what, you know, what you're doing, what's different. Um, what's the same is also a good, good question. And mm. just on my heels, like the fear of failure, um, you know, just creeps in and kind of weighs you down. And, Going in that Oswald game, there was kind of a, you know, because that was a pretty big opportunity for D- Daniel Descalso to get the nod and to give me a breather or just to take a different direction. Mm-hmm. And Larusa gave me another shot. I'm sure, I don't know, but I'm sure they talked about it. You know, that's just, it w- might have been a good move. But um, I went in, I know I K'd my first at bat, but I remember that like the K even felt okay. Like I, I got in the box ready to go and I was kind of the aggressor, you know, you're waiting on the pitch and stuff, but like, you know, you're, you're focused on, on turning the ball around and attacking it and not being on your heels and being reactive. And that's the key with hitting, especially you take millions of swings, you get used to facing 80, 90, hundred, whatever. But um, if you're reacting and not anticipating, you're going to go down and your, your career is going to be short lived. And, um, Roping that double down the line and holiday hustle around the score. We either tied it or took the lead. Um, that definitely changed. I think not only 
like physically how I wanted to approach the AB, but mentally, like, man, that just turns you up and everything kind of got pushed aside, you know, and just everything simplified. And then when I hit that ball out um, later in the game, uh, that was kind of the ultimate turning point to my psyche, you know, you know, physically obviously felt the same and stuff, but man, baseball and golf are so similar that if your mind is not capable of like seeing and thinking and feeling good, good things, you can still be successful. But I think the consistency of that um, is, is in jeopardy. Well, that's why I love this show because, you know, you're one of the best in the world at, at what you were doing at that time. And um, you had self-doubt and you played tentative. And I just think it's so important and relatable for the, av- the amateur golfer or athlete or baseball player to remember that it's not a game of perfect. It's a game of resetting. And right. you, in that moment, if you wouldn't have reset and given yourself the chance to be the aggressor, who knows if you would have had, who knows if we even would have won the game right. in NLDS and gone right. on to the, to what 2011 became. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and you got it. Like if, if you're not the aggressor and man, and really anything, you know, anything in life, you know, um, you're just not going to give yourself the opportunity to, to open the door for other things and, and have the opportunities to be successful. And um, like we, you know, luck can fall on your lap and this and that, and you can, you can get by and move in and maneuver in and out of obstacles. But um, the mental side of being confident and minimizing what's going on in your brain. Um, and I think you said resetting, like that's exactly it. Like whether it's pitch to pitch or off the tee to an approach shot, um, you just have to reset. And I, I, man, I love baseball and the golf in the sense I learned this in low A, my buddy Seth, I still remember this, my buddy Seth Johnson, when I got called up to low A, talked to me about, um, if you just stay focused all game, you're going to, you're going to go crazy. Like you, you got to find time to, to relax your brain, you know, whether you're not going to be up for seven, eight guys. So you just chill in the dugout and relax. Um, and then you're on deck, you take your moments just to, just to hang out and chill, but you're focused, but then you lock it in and it's cool. And I think that in the long run in golf, that's going to help me is because I, for my whole life, I've kind of had those moments where you just reset and then lock it in and then take your break mm. and then lock it in. Um, and I'm really trying to focus on golf and have that pre-shot routine that I don't have. Like I, I'm the guy that like, looks like he's thinking, <laughs> You know, but then after the round, you're like, man, I, I didn't think anything for 18 rounds, <laughs> you know, like specifically, you know, yeah. you know, but having, having that pre-shot, having that pre-shot routine is just crucial. And, and knowing what you're going to think about just gives you confidence and kind of calms the moment down. So in that moment, then real quick, before we move on to game six and then talking yeah. about golf and your, your golf game more, um, was it a, did you actually remember, do you, did you think something differently in game four or was it just a yeah. reset of it's, it's not the time to be tentative? Like, what was your thought in that moment? Yeah, that, that was a, it kind of, it kind of intertwines because me being tentative, I'm late to, I'm, I'm late to load. Mm. So I'm not at my peak, like pullback of my of my body to where i'm fully behind the ball committed to it 
So my, like I'm, I've always been, I haven't really been a mechanical guy. Um, as a hitter, I've always just been like, my mind will put my body in a certain place, you know, and, and if it's timed up correctly, I'm ready to hit. Yeah. You know, I trust that my, like, if I want to take a ball that misses middle belt high to dead center, I'm the type of player that I don't think about my mechanics. I just think about, I visualize doing that. And so I just work on thinking that and it puts my body, I've done it so long that it puts my body in position to allow that to happen if it times up correctly. And I actually get the pitch I'm looking for. Um, So it was more of a mental cue to tell myself to start, not get my foot down earlier, my front foot, but to start moving sooner. And I think the fear or the tentativeness is what caused me to kind of like, Oh, when do I get ready? Okay. Now, you know, but, and then you turn it into like, no, 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 let's, let's go. And then you Mm -hmm. just, you know, the, the rhythm is there and then the confidence follows it. All right. We're going to take a quick one minute break and then we'll get you right back to the show. Full transparency. uh, I've helped so many golfers over the years figure out what kind of golf set they should get and new golfers especially because when you're starting out in this game as most of you know you could either be starting out yourself and using this podcast to maybe get out of your own way or you could have been playing for the last 20 years but everybody can empathize and relate to what it's like starting out in this game of golf it's just very confusing uh usually you either got a hand-me-down set from uncle ned uh, with a bunch of different brands in one set that's from probably from 20 years ago. Um, or you got a pretty crappy all-in-one set from like Strata or something that the quality isn't good, or you feel the pressure to drop two plus thousand dollars on a brand new set. Guys, I'm so excited to be partnering with Sticks Golf. Sticks Golf is a brand new direct-to-consumer golf brand that finally makes premium performing golf clubs at a fair price. It's all the performance you need and none of what you don't. Guys, these big manufacturers, they gotta release something every year and a lot of times their marketing claims don't live up to the performance. And so Styx Golf has done it. Guys, Styx Golf has made modern clubs for the modern golfer with a minimalist all black design. I'm telling you, I've hit them, I've held them, they are sick. My fiance Tara wants a set so bad. They're seriously such great looking clubs, and I hit them awesome, okay? Um, Now, Styx has every skill level covered with high durable finishes, graphite shafts, and the latest tech. Um, So whether you're a brand new golfer looking for your first set, or an upgrade set, or an experienced golfer looking to get yourself great performing clubs that won't break the bank, get a 9, 11, or 14 piece set at the link in our show notes. Just click on our show notes, tap that link. It's also always linked in our bio at the par train on Instagram or Twitter. So you can tap that link and access it there. But make sure you enter the code PARTRAIN SENT ME, all one word, PARTRAIN SENT ME for 10% off. This is a limited time. They don't normally do discounts for partners, but for the PAR train audience only, you guys can get 10% off for a limited time. So get the clubs you deserve without breaking the bank. All right, now let's get back to the episode. Got it. So I, I want to go to game six, um, okay. obviously. Um, but before I do, I would regret if I didn't tell you this story, David. So I'm going to tell you a yeah, quick yeah, story. Yeah, um, yeah. So I lived in San Diego at that time. Um, 
And I went to, starting in the NLDS, every game, I went to the same bar in Solana Beach, (laughs) and I went to the same booth. I would call ahead, and I would reserve the booth. Well, before game six, I called. Everything was set up. I walk into the bar, and there was a small family sitting in my booth. Come on. And in no hesitation, David, I walked up to the family and I said, I told them the situation, guys, I am like eight and one in this booth. You got to go like you got to move. And I hate to ask, but you got to do it. And they were so nice. Come on. And they moved. And I got that booth for game six. So the question is, David, did you win game six for us or was it the booth? It's been a decade, and I finally just figured out why this all happened. <laughs> so I appreciate it. Hey, and that family, there are, there are good people in the world. That's amazing yeah. that they got up mid-onion mid ring. Yeah. Just... Well, um, you know what? You're welcome, David. I'm glad yeah, it's all come full circle. Thank you. Yeah, um, all right. Now we all right. know. So I'm going to go straight to the moment. Should, I'm not hey, going to. You should, you should throw out the first pitch when, when we go back to Bush. You know what? If you want to make that call. David, make that call. I'm not gonna. Right. I'm not gonna uh, decline. Um, so I'm gonna fast forward to the moment. Um, bottom of the ninth, two outs, two strikes. You've heard it a million times, um, but I'm gonna hopefully ask it in a way you've you haven't been asked before. Uh, I'm curious okay. about the count being two strikes. It kind of makes me feel like in golf when people are in the trees. They a lot of times hit their best shots versus when they're in the middle of the fairway, it's easy to let your head get, you know, into it. And I feel like with two strikes as a former baseball player myself, you're not trying to do it. You're trying to survive. You're trying to protect. And I'm curious um, how important being two strikes was versus letting the weight of the moment interfere with your swing. Okay. That's interesting. Um, Okay, so I swung through that same pitch I hit earlier in the AB. Um, and I know that my mentality was different, you know, with a 1-1 one, one count maybe over, you know, compared to the 1-2 or the 0-1. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's interesting. Um, there was definitely a calmer approach with two strikes, um, kind of barrel, barrel on ball you know, feeling this and that, um, it, man, it's cool that the count was one, two, because anybody, like you said, anybody that knows baseball or has played ball knows that things are different. Yeah. You know, when, when there's two strikes, especially when you're, you know, your season's on the line. Yeah. Um, the guys like Albert, Pujols, um, Trout, all those guys, man, they don't seem unfazed by it at all because they're prepared and they're calm and they're not trying to do too much. And that, and that brings back to the ball in the trees. Um, I think when you line those two situations up, like the focus is, it's so deliberate. Like, I think everything just kind of tunnels in. It's just like looking through the trees, like instantly you just don't worry about anything that's around you. You know, you're so full. It's like breathing at you kind of like everything, even sound disappears. Like when you're in, 
in that flow state or whatever you want to call it or the yeah. zone or whatever you the um, it's kind of the you cleared the mechanism yeah you yeah. did and and that's the whole goal of being able to do that on call which is tough you know only yeah. and only tiger and michael michael can do that basically but um yeah when you get two strikes it makes hitters like appreciate how simple you need to be to be successful and and how comfortable you have when you're in the minor leagues or you're in college or high school man those are perfect times to find out how to be comfortable when you're uncomfortable which is mm -hmm. with two strikes or you're or you're facing a pitcher that has a nasty slider and you can't quote unquote can't hit it um or you're and I went to old Warson for the first time two months ago and I'd never played in rough like that. I'm like, Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's fine. You know, like, but every, like if you've golfed forever, you've played in that stuff all, all day long and, and you get a ball 10 feet off the fairway and you can't see it, you know, yeah. you know, but that's a good, that's a good moment to really check yourself and understand that you just need to figure out what, what's, what's controllable and focus on what you can handle. And, and, and get it through those trees or whatever, whatever your situation. It's funny how like you're 30 yards out and there's a bunker in front of you, you know, like, you know, average decent golfer, like you're just, the, the bunker is just like pulsating at you, you know? And if, if you got, if you got the same shot lined up in the fairway, you know, right in front of the green with no bunker, you know, potentially you're gonna have two different shots, but mm -hmm. you know, for the most part, there shouldn't ever be a bunker in your mind, you know, cause you're not, you're not going to, you're not going to touch it. You're not going to worry about it. Right. So it's just crazy to think about all the stuff that goes through our heads and in really tough situations that that just don't need to be there. Totally. And you know, two innings later, um, it would have been so easy for your mind to wander in the eleven. Could I do it again? You know. And so I'm curious. Did that. What kind of thoughts were popping up for you? Clearly, your confidence was at an all-time high, so I'm sure that helped. But what was your focus going into the walk-off homer at bat, and how did you keep your mind focused on what mattered? Um, my whole focus, I was leading off the inning, so it was get on base. Mm. Um, I've never, you know, I didn't pump homers my whole career and this and that, so I never late in games was like, let's end this, you know, like. <laughs> Because then I'm just rolling over to third. Like, yeah. you know, I just didn't have that swing. I just didn't have that approach, you know. But some guys do that, especially nowadays. Guys are like, I'm going to end it. And then they do it, you know, like. Yeah. Um, so I was just leading off that inning, uh, facing another guy in, in low that throws hard. I was just trying to whack a liner somewhere. And I, um, I think I, yeah, worked it to a full count. I guess it came back. It was 3-0 and came back to a full count. Took an overly aggressive hack, 3-1, too aggressive, um, and then kind of calmed it down. And he, for some reason, you know, whatever, they chose to throw a changeup. Kind of felt like a 90-mile-hour here, middle in. But I, I was trying to take somebody's head off, you know, take an infielder's head off. And I just clipped it and, and got it through. But I think um, leading off the inning, knowing that if I get out, um, the game's still going on. That's the big difference between that that play. That's why I like the triple more because mm. if I got out in the 11th, we were still playing. Yeah, you know, and if I got out in the ninth, the season was over. We were, you know, runner up for the for the for the ring. So there's a different calm calmness 
in the 11th at bat. Um, but yeah, my goal was definitely just to keep it simple, get the barrel out and kind of hit a liner somewhere. It sounds like, I mean, I've heard the word calm. I've heard you're focused on your mechanics, right? Those are all like keys in the moment that yeah. instead of thinking about the weight of it all, I mean, just, I'm curious when it was three Oh, did you give yourself a green light or did the coaches? No, no. Um, I actually, I don't, I don't even know if I looked to see what they were into. I'm sure Tony, especially back then, I'm sure Tony had the take sign on solely because I was leading off. Right. You know, the, pro- the probability of me walking yeah. after a 3-0 count is probably pretty high, especially yeah. how I was playing. Um, but, uh, I, yeah, I'm pretty sure they probably gave me the take, but I was taken anyways. I just don't remember if I looked or not. David, not many people can relate to winning, being a World Series MVP, but I think everyone can relate to playing well in something at least once and then sure. having higher expectations and going out there to play again. And something that really stuck out to me as I was reflecting on your career ahead of today is you managed to have an all-star year in 2012 after unmatchable expectations from 2011. So especially in golf, but in baseball, every sport, elevated expectations can be a killer. So I'm curious how you used it to elevate your play versus get more tentative and press. Yeah. um, I mean, I I came out hot in 2012, and I think it was just the demand that I felt like I had on myself. the focus was there. I knew my health. Like I didn't know, understand my health, my feet, you know, people use <laughs> injuries and excuse and stuff, but like my feet were in big problem with my career. Um, kind of, and that's just why I didn't really use my legs a lot. My, like, if you look at my swings, my, there weren't very much power. There wasn't very much power coming out of my legs. Um, my whole career, but that year in 2012, it was just so important for me to keep it going that I kind of used everything I had, um, especially in those first few months, um, to drive the ball and, and be focused. But that was a point in my life that a lot of people don't really get to understand, which is a, one reason why I love baseball and sports is because you get to feel the emotional side of good and bad, extreme you know, ends of the spectrum. Um, you get to feel stuff that people don't get to feel, and it's crazy. Like. Uh, you know, you're, you're making people move out of a booth <laughs> like yeah. for, for the result of a game. Like that's yeah. like that type of stuff. That's what makes it so cool. Um, but it's crazy. Like when you learn how to focus deliberately and like when that starts to become normal and, and easier, Ooh, that's when your careers change. And that, and I can imagine like you get off a golf course and you're exhausted. You know, and it's not because you took 110 shots or like it's because of what your brain was doing all day, you know. And I I feel like with anything, if you can learn how to focus intently, specifically, that becomes easier, you know, over time. And then you can start to just really roll and be confident and just know what you're what you need to think as you're driving or walking up to your ball. Um, you understand what you're about to get yourself into. And there's probably some literally serenity in that. Yeah. I imagine you almost had to 
tap into that in 2013 when you went to the Angels. And I'd assume yeah, Albert, yeah. Albert probably went through a similar thing where, like, think about it. You're the hometown hero. You couldn't do anything wrong in St. Louis. <laughs> and you had an incredible run. And now you're going to right. a new, across the country, a new team. It would have been easy to put all these expectations on yourself to impress, you know, to uh, be worth the money that they pay. Like, how did that, how did yeah. that work? It was awesome having, having Albert out there. Cause going out there, I mean, you know, you live in San Diego and stuff that like when you yeah. leave the Midwest and you head out, head out to the coast, like it's a different planet. Mm-hmm. I mean, you got kickoff at 10 AM. Like it's just, right. you know, you're the last game on TV at night. You know, everybody else is done. You know, it's, it's just a whole different world, but it's nice to have people around you that have been through it and can help you, you know, get around some things and, and, and push through. But um, yeah, like you get through those moments just by how men- mentally stable and strong and, and open to, to learn and adjust. Um, you know, that's kind of how you fight through those, those times. Let's talk about your golf game. You mentioned Let's it a little it. bit. Uh, you said you've gone... 18 holes and you're done you feel like you didn't think about a thing right it's like a blur so tell people about your game you've been playing for seven months it sounds like um what what tell us about your game first and then i'll I'll follow up so the more i know the worse i get Mm -hmm. is what is what i'm learning I, i go out there in january and february and i'm um, it's just a perfect example. It's like when you expect to not, not really play straight and this and that, like it's almost, if you're athletic and have feel and you've been swinging your whole life and you understand a little bit of club face and, you know, in four, you know, like how much mm-hmm. effort you need to put in the ball, like there's some simplicity in that. And, and it, and it was kind of easier back then, obviously in the winter, I didn't realize, oh, there's just no wind, but like, you know, like. Um, as I've, as I've come along and I've watched just countless hours of stuff or on the golf channel and just watch golfers swings, you know, like I'm starting to learn what people are doing and why. And so my head is starting to really spin even over the ball. And that's the last thing you want to do. Like you're, you're way too late. If you're thinking about mechanics, when you're over the ball, you know, you can, I guess when you pull back and check, you know, Justin Thomas club face, you know, like you're still kind of thinking something or whatever, but when that club comes back down, like it's go time, like clear the head. But, um, I've learned that my Muni handicap doesn't travel well, <laughs> like, you know, like two fairways are better than one. Um, so I'm waiting to get in, um, hopefully into a, a club down here. So right now I just kind of down in Austin. So right now I just kind of bounce around to the public courses. I'll, I'll run out to Wolf Dancer, which is a little bit east, but that's an awesome course out of like a Hyatt Resort. Um, Spanish Oaks is the club here in Austin, private club, which is just, it's badass, sweet. Um, but I mean, I can, sh- if everything goes well, I could put up an 85 at Lions Muni, you know, or I can show up the next thing and hit 105, you know, that's just where, where I'm at. But uh, it's really trying, I'm really still in the stage of identifying where, you know, a full swing, what distance my clubs go, you know, because my seven iron could go 150 or 175, you know what I mean? So the consistency of club face. To be able to shoot an 85 seven months in, I mean, that's, that's a pretty good trajectory. So I think you're on the right track, but um, how much, when you first started playing, 
what are you drafting off of from baseball, if anything? Like, are you are you pulling learnings from that? And yeah, what's translating? I, I watch a lot of, uh, you know, like the peak of your hands and like kind of where your lower half is. You know, obviously everybody's different, but there's some foundational components yeah. that just need that need to happen. Um, like you need to be you know, two feet before contact, we all kind of need to be in the same spot, you know, like you, like Matthew Wolf, you can do whatever you want to do, but you better get somewhere. Yeah. You know, for, for all that to work. It's just like baseball. You can load, you can stand open, you can stand on your head for all, for, for all anybody cares, but you just have to be in a certain slot to consistently see the ball or play well. And I know baseball, the ball's moving and stuff and, you know, there's room there for it to fall in golf. The, the crazy thing about golf is everyone thinks it should be easier. Um, you know, people can argue golf and baseball all day, but like the fact that the ball is just sitting there, you know, um, is incredible that like just understanding that people can steer a golf ball 180, 200 yards um, and get it to stick or this and that is just so fascinating to me. And that's yeah. where things get different because you're kind of, you're kind of barreling up a ball in baseball and just, um, man, hopefully a fielder doesn't find it, Yeah, you know, like in golf, like everything's on you, you know, obviously you make contact and you, you, it's uncontrollable after that, but, um, the ability to, to steer a ball with, with a club is, is just, uh, it's fascinating. How's the ego been? Because going from a world series MVP <laughs> to the, not knowing where the ball is, uh, and where it's going. <laughs> I mean, that can really check your ego. Has that been yeah, yeah. tough? Um, I think when you stand over the ball and say, I hope this works out, you know, I don't think there's much ego in that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's humility. Yeah, yeah, that's just straight humility for, yeah. for five, six hours. But um, no, there's times where, especially like in March, where I was like, ooh, okay, I'm, I'm going to get this pretty quick, you know? Um and then you just fall over, you know, because yeah. you start getting some distance. So you think you think you can just stick greens and then you start swinging harder and then it starts spinning more. And then you start playing courses where short can be can be benefit. Like if you want to hit around, shoot around 90, like straight and short is probably the play. You know, when you start pin seeking and missing left and right, then you got that rough. You got some bunkers. And that's when you start realizing that, okay, if I need, if I want to be sitting high seventies, whenever in a year, five years, whenever, like control and tempo and trust and like identifying the lie and actually thinking about what the, if you pure it, what the ball's actually going to do. Mm -hmm. um, you know, those are the things that you really need to really need to think about i think about a hundred things and i really need to think about five of them you know it's just yeah. it's one of those one of those rides i'm on well i mean you said uh in an interview um after i think i think it was after 2011 season you said it's all about focus there's many ways to win keep battling and i think those three things that's stuff that tiger talked about like there's it's not a game of perfect. There's plenty of ways to make par or bogey, whatever you're going for. Um, specific focus over the ball, but not in between, right? Letting yourself be right. free. But then 
battling is really the thing that I've seen over the last probably six months of amazing interviews we've been able to have is the pros. It's so interesting, David, the pros battle in a way that like the best players in the world, there's guys that only hit draws and they only go at left pin. If it's a right pin, they aim 30 feet left. And yet every amateur gets a yardage and fires at the pin. Right. So, and like that's battling, like they could fire at the pin. They're good enough to, but they're picking their spots and they're very intentional about what club they're hitting when, and when they're going to be aggressive. I think that's a huge difference. Yeah. Like, I mean, you bring up a great point and I, it just hits me like missing. Well, you know, is that's a whole nother level. Like, but even like, I don't even do that yet. Like, I don't even focus on that. Like, like, I, like you said, like I see the pin at a, at a Muni and I'm like, let's rock. <laughs> but like, there's no progress in that. There really isn't, you know, like if you want to get to the seventies or eighties or whatever you want to do, like there's a direct path. And like, you have to think about those things, like you just said, and um, going up to the ball and giving yourself 30 seconds of deliberate focus is probably the most important thing. Yeah. You know, like, are you really focused? What are you really focused on? Are you visualizing success? You know, um, and then visualize it again and again, you know, like, cause guys walk to the ball or, or ride the cart. It's a, good, it's a good time to take a breather or whatever. But, and I, I mean, you can just see it in those guys on tour where they're like Mike Trout in a sense. Mike Trout's the best I've ever seen it. Like, let's say he punches out, boom, batting on, you don't even remember it. You know, like he does, he's moved on, he's gone. And there's a lot of success in that. And I look at golfers and, you know, everybody has a bad day, but for the most part, people hit their shot. They're not happy with it, but I feel like it's important that you see it in their eyes. It's important to them to just move on. Yeah. You know, bang your club down and then go like, you know, you're out of there and start worrying, start focusing on the success of the next shot. Yeah, and we did an episode, we compared golf to Queen's Gambit. I don't know if you've seen the show, and we've said this a few times. Um, But essentially, we we related golf to chess in the way that when she, on that show, when she was backed into a corner, she thought to herself, I have three moves. Move one, not good because they'll take me here. Move two, not good because it might not set me up okay, I think move three is the best move and that's the best move I can make right now. So I'm going to make that move. She doesn't get frustrated that she's backed into a corner. She's just looking at her three options, asks herself, what's the best move here? And then she plays. And that's kind of how the pros play golf and the amateur is upset that they're in the corner. Yeah, yeah. Like I look at, you know, I've I've watched golf every day for since I started playing in January, but you start like you start seeing what guys are really good at. And I see Spieth, you know, have his back up against the wall, basically him and his, what's his caddy named Michael, like yeah. maybe the best conversations in golf, but like yeah. um, they're going back and forth, but like Spieth almost looks like he enjoys, you know, like sitting in the trees or like, you know, having to wrap something around, around a tree or something. And, um, it's crazy to see his willingness to like and have fun with those moments and really, you can just see belief in it. 
that he's like, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do this. And then we're going to, I don't even care if we bogey this hole because I played this course the last two days, I'm going to par and birdie the next three holes. So we're fine. Like, let's yeah. get out of here. And then he makes that the recover, you know, the rescue shot even better, you know? So it's cool. It's just cool to see guys like that when they're in trouble, obviously tiger Phil, you know, when they do, when they get in some tough stuff, man, it's just cool to see that they embrace, you know, where, where they're at. Yeah. Well, I feel like we could go another two hours just on talking mental game with your tendencies. So maybe we'll need to have you back, but I want to respect your time. So I got two to three more questions and then we'll get you out of here. Um, this is a fun one for all my St. Louis folks. Um, uh, if you had to pick only one St. Louis food to eat every day for the rest of your life, what would you pick? Lion's choice, toasted ravioli, emos, or crazy bulls and wraps. My friends are going to make fun of me for throwing in crazy Wait, bulls at the end, but I got to throw in crazy bulls. Is that your spot? Yeah. Man, hey, first of all, I used to crush their barbecue quesadilla. <laughs> barbecue chicken quesadilla. I mean, it's solid They're, stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's. Uh, I was actually there last weekend. We played at, played at Forest Park for the charity, and then we went to uh, Sunday. I played at Boone. Boone Valley, um, which is awesome. But uh, there's that crazy bowls and wraps in Manchester. Me and my buddy st- saw it. We started laughing. Um, I mean, I would, I'd have to go emos. They'd kill me, right? I have to say yeah. emos. Yeah, but yeah def- definitely uh, emos. But uh, I, mean, I haven't had Lions Choice in a minute. They got, uh, they got good ice. Yeah, they do. Everyone <laughs> says that. It's very true. Yeah, um, that nugget ice. All right, this is the Brent Chad question. I pulled this from cool, the Instagram cool. questions. Would you rather get a hole in one at Augusta National or play one more game with the 2011 Cardinals? Oh man! <laughs> um, and I'm going to say know, 12 ace, at Augusta. Let, let's. Oh, is 12 the spot? Yeah. Let's I, let's ace let's ace that one. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, you've done one. You haven't done the other. Yeah. Okay. There we go. There we so, go. That'll save me. That'll yeah, save me some space. That'll save you. All right. <laughs> Last question, then we'll get you out of here. It's been almost, it's basically almost been 10 years since the 2011 yeah. World Series. I know you've got a reunion soon with the team. Um, I'm just curious, after 10 years, what's the most meaningful thing to you about that run that maybe you didn't realize in 2011? Oh, man. Um, it took me a minute, but I think every year I gain more and more perspective on all that. Um, I've had my mishaps from high school all the way, you know, for, for decades. And that, that run being a Cardinal, even, even just being a Cardinal, like um, that allowed me to maybe mature, grow up, learn a lot, have a different perspective for a lot of things. But uh, every year, I mean, I think let's, let's be honest. I think about those times all the time, you know, whether it's because people bring it up or I just it's just in me, it's just so important in my life. But, Looking back on all that, um, just gaining perspective on on how calm and just non-reactive you need to be in situations and in life and understand that almost everything that goes goes in and out of you, it just isn't that important. You know, like there's just so much more out there that needs focus and needs needs your energy on, you know, not all the BS that doesn't really affect you. You know, and and as I grow up and I, you know, I marry Marin and have two little boys, you know, everything just keeps hitting you. And and that's why they always talk about, like, you know, 
have some elders in your life and, you know, cause they know, and they know exactly what we're all going through as we're in our twenties, thirties, forties, and, and we're trying to survive and trying to identify with who we are and what we're all about and what we're headed towards. And I just look at all that periodically back then. And man, you know, I tell, I tell people that ask me that question sometimes it's like, man, I wish I just took more of a breath. Yeah. You know, and whether you're on a golf course, a baseball field or, in a classroom or wherever, like just breathe. I think that's just so important because you'll learn a lot. You'll learn a lot more about yourself and what you're capable of. If, if you just give it a moment and and take a breather. Well, David, I think this could help a lot of people. This was a huge honor for me. Thank you for coming on. If you guys don't follow uh, David, follow him at David freeze on Instagram. I assume is probably the best place. Uh, Twitter as well. Um, You got some great tweets. Um, I love following your little uh, golf nuggets, but you know, like I said, you're always welcome back. We want to dive more into the mental game. Yeah. Um, and we got to play, we got to play around and we got to play with Cal when you come out to LA to see what it's all about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We got to get out there with Cal. Yeah, dude. I, uh, so I was checking out your, I was checking out your podcast and I, and I was like, Oh my goodness. All right. I, I think uh, Cal was on one of your stories on Instagram. And then, uh, yeah, I hit you up and I'm like, oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah I've known Cal. So I met Cal, uh, like the second night after I met Marin, cause he was playing at the pageant. Oh, um, and Mar- and Marin and hope really good friends. And so I met Marin Friday and went to the time flies concert, uh, the <laughs> next night at, uh, at, um, at the pageant. So we all hung out at the moonrise late. So it was cool. Yeah. Cal is one of the best guys I know. Yeah. He's a great dude. We're gonna play this Friday. And a great golf and a great, great golfer, right? Yeah, he's a two. Oh no way! Cool. Yeah, yeah. we're gonna play on Friday, so I'll oh, tell him wow. you say hi. Um, and for hey, sure. if you want to sign me up for that first pick or put in a good word with Wayno, like I'm down. <laughs> That's right. You know? All right. Let well, me know. Well, all right, I'll try. I'll try and set it up. <laughs> yeah, that'd be awesome. <laughs> well, cool, Evan. Right, man. man, I appreciate. It. Yeah, this was great. I really appreciate. It. Thanks for coming we'll, on, man. We'll get, I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, we'll get back on it too. It's cool. All right, see you, man. All right, thanks.